This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. It is so good to have you with us today. Uh, You get to experience maybe for the first time Christmas at Vortex, and man, we love Christmas, we love this season, and we want you to just know something ahead of time. When you leave today, we want you to feel like you were built up, like life was poured out into you. We don't want you to leave feeling beat down. The truth is, is though, many of us come in with some big struggles. Y'all ever listen to Christmas songs? Just really listen to Christmas songs. There's some weird Christmas songs. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Y'all ever listen to that? I'm pretty sure Grandma got ran over by a reindeer is a story about a granddad who framed Santa for killing his wife. I'm pretty sure. Listen to it. Okay? Then there's that song that comes on every once in a while. But for some of you, if you're honest in your hearts, makes you cringe a little bit. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And in your hearts and somewhere in the back in the recesses of your mind, you think, no, it's not. This isn't easy. This isn't what it's supposed to be. I mean, I think it's worth asking, why is Christmas so difficult for some of us? For some of us, it's that we're struggling with social isolation. During this period of time, it's it's more evident that people are connected to other people, and we see people maybe who are very connected to their families and we're not, people who have large groups of friends and we don't, and we see that and we feel a little bit more isolated than we do throughout the rest of the year. For some of us, we're grieving a loss. Maybe in the last year, two years, or three years, we've lost somebody that meant a lot to us. And because we lost them, because of that significant change, maybe it's not just those that passed away, but it's relationships that died. It's some of you, it's friends that moved away. But we're, we're grieving a loss. This is one thing that I think we don't think about this time of year, but why is Christmas so difficult for some of us is that we're struggling with a seasonally effective mood pattern. I mean, we know scientifically that our exposure to sun has a very dramatic increase on our mood. And this is literally the time of the year when the days are the shortest and we're exposed to the sun the least. For some of us, it's not just that. We're actually dealing with depression. We're dealing with mental illness. We're dealing with a pattern. It's been maybe for some of us lifelong. Maybe it's just a season of our life of anxiety and depression. And and there's a sickness that's there that's causing it. It's not anything. It's not a circumstance. This is just something inside of our body that's not right. Chemicals and hormones just aren't right. And I I just need to say this because I know somebody needs to hear this. 
if, if you are struggling with that kind of sickness, it is not a sin to be sick. It is not. Now, if you are doing that, here, let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, talk to somebody. Number two, invite somebody into the journey with you. And three, make sure you're constantly evaluating what you need to help you. Okay? It's not a sin to be sick, but it is definitely not good to do that alone. And there are many of us that we hear that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and we vomit in our mouths a little bit because we think, no, it's not. When I look forward to Christmas, this is going to be hard. You have no idea. If you're that person, I have some really good news for you today. And it's just this. It's actually the message of Christmas itself, that God is with us. God is with us. It's what this is all about. It's really what the message shows us from the very beginning in Matthew 1, as this is announced, it says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When we sing that song that we sang earlier, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're saying, God, come, come and be with us. You are the God that is with us. Whatever circumstance, wherever we are, God, come and be with us. You are the God that is with us. But here's the problem. Many Christians, many of us that follow Jesus, we recognize God as being with us when we are on the mountaintop. Boy, I'm telling you what, you get that call and you got a 15% pay increase and you are sure God is with me right now. I can feel his presence, right? Some of y'all come home and it's the first time your kids have ever cleaned up their room on their own without you having to beat their little butts. And it is like, God, you are with me right now. If you've got a baby, okay, and it's the first time your baby sleeps through the night and you wake up in the morning, foggy eyes, oh, God is with me. Right, we, those mountaintop moments, we feel like God is with us. But it gets more difficult to sense that God is with us when we're in the valley. When we're alone. When we're scared. When we're hurting. When we receive some bad news. It's hard for us to believe that God is with us. But I want you to know something. He's the same God on top of the mountain that he is in the valley. And the valleys are there for a reason. Think about this. What do valleys represent in our lives? I want to answer this question by actually giving you the answer of what valleys represented in Scripture to the men and women in Scripture who went through valleys. Number one, valleys represented battles. Valleys are places where, where fights took place. Literally, one army would amass on one side, another army would amass on the other, and the fight would happen in the valley. Some of you are in the valley today, and you're in the middle of a fight. But valleys also represented loneliness. I can think of two 
Old Testament prophets who ended up in the valley. And they were alone. All those who had cheered them on, all those who had thought that they were amazing from a distance, all the applause had dwindled. They were finally alone in the valley. And sometimes for us, the valley represents a season of loneliness. But ultimately, the valley represents a season of desperation. Because in the valley, we need and long for something that we do not have and cannot get. Nor do we have access to it. We don't have the power to earn it or to achieve it. We are desperate. And some of you are in a desperate situation, a desperate season, and you're in the valley. But I want you to see what happens in the valley. Because there are things that happen in the valley that never happen anywhere else. See, in the valley, we grow. We grow. Some of us will look back, and if we could sit and have a conversation on your deathbed and I could ask, what were the five most important moments of your life? You may very well list valley moments because you'll look back and say, in that moment, God did something in me that he could have never done had I stayed comfortable. We grow. And we grow because it's in the valley that our faith is built. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. See, the problem is, for many of us, everything we need is seen. Everything we want is seen. And we haven't been through seasons where the things we need and want aren't seen, and so we've never had to have our faith explode and grow until we get in a season where there's something that we can't see, that we need. And lastly, when we're in the valley, we experience God in a different way. In a different way. Our experiences with God in the valley are a lot different than they are when we're on the mountaintop. Oh, on the mountaintop, we celebrate and we laugh. But it's different in the valley. See, the thing is, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know Him in the valley. We get to know Him. Our reliance on him, our faith in him, our dependence on him completely transforms the way that we relate to him and our relationship with him. We get to know God in the valley. So I want to take you to a passage today. Because if he's the God that he is on the mountaintop and in the valley, and he's the God who's promised, and this is the promise of Christmas, that he wants to be with us, that he is with us. There's sometimes that we have to actually work to find him. He's there, but our situations and our perspectives clog our capacity to experience him. And so I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. We're going to deconstruct this together, and we're going to see how to find God when we're in the valley. 
It's in Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it to the place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture, and it's going to take a little bit for me to unpack this for you as we walk through this today. It mentions the Valley of Baca, which is a literal physical place that exists right outside of Jerusalem. Oftentimes, when you pull this up in your Bible app, you'll probably see this translated differently. It'll be translated as the Valley of tears or the valley of weeping or the valley of loss. This was a very difficult place. As a matter of fact, the place was infested by by thorny bushes, and it was very difficult to make your way through this valley. There were tons of wild animals, uh, especially poisonous snakes. How many of y'all love snakes, right? Right? We just That's just not something that's fun. If I know there's snakes there, I don't want to go. Okay, And there were also like wild animals, especially lions. And any time there's a cat involved, you have to know that the devil's there somewhere. Okay? My whole point is that I want you to understand that when the psalmist draws up this illusion of the valley of Baca, this, this appearance, he's letting us know that this journey is not easy. It was nearly impossible to travel through the valley of Baca without having trouble or hardship. But notice how he begins this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Notice the Bible doesn't say, blessed are those who try to make it on their own. Blessed are those who find their way. Blessed are those who are strong enough to stand and take the next. No. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You might be here today and not following Jesus. Your life might not reflect the decision to follow him. Right now, you might not be making the decisions that God would have you make to follow in step behind him. You might today feel exhausted like you can't take it anymore. I can't make it. You might even be thinking about quitting right there in the middle of the valley. Can I just ask you this question? I just want you to think about it. Have you bought into a perspective that says, I'm supposed to be independent? As a matter of fact, I think that's our most common cultural perspective about how we're supposed to live, that we are made to be independent. We raise our kids to be independent. You need to think independently. You need to be able to take care of yourself. How many of y'all are excited when your kid learns how to blow their nose? That's an amazing moment. I think it's a milestone. That should be recorded in the pediatrician when we go, can they blow their own nose? Yes. Yes, they can. Finally. Amen. I'm not picking boogers anymore. Okay? We try to raise them to be independent. And and many of us in, in that kind of cultural precept, we have it in our hearts that I should be able to make it on my own. I should be able to, to kind of will myself and strengthen myself through this. But the truth is, is that you were not made to be independent. 
God didn't make you that way. God made you to be dependent. To be dependent on him. So many of us are living lives that are broken and lost simply because we have bought into a lie that we don't need to be dependent on anything or anybody. But can I tell you this? If you don't depend on Jesus, what you have is all you have. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all need to realize that. If you don't depend on Jesus, if your life is not being, being lived in such a way that you are depending on him, all you have is all you have. That's it. I can remember about a year ago, lifting weights with my friend David. And don't, don't judge me. I know I don't look like I lift weights, okay? I'm not trying to even insinuate that I should, but we were. And David's like one of the few guys I get to work out just because of the time that I get to go. And most guys normally aren't available during that time. And David, David just, he'll push me and he'll ask me to do things I normally wouldn't want to do. How many of y'all know you need friends that'll push you and friends that'll encourage you to do things that you normally wouldn't do that are going to be good for you? And one day he's like, man, we're going to do a burnout workout today. Oh, like, oh, dude, you are stupid. Like, I don't want to do that, but fine. I didn't say that out loud. It's fine. And he's like, we're going to do this, and we're going to start out with so much. And we're going to do 50 reps, and we're going to, and just, and we're, and I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to get you through it. And the last set, like, it's literally like, like we're benching like the kitty bar, right? It's just like the, like, if somebody walked in and saw me, they would have thought I was the weakest person alive ever in humanity. And we're there. And he's just showing at me, you got it. You got it. I got you. You're doing great. You're doing great. My muscles are like shaking, about to like seize up. I can't do anything. And we finally rack the weight. And I realize that wasn't me. That was him. The whole time. See, the thing is, is that there's a point where your strength will end. I don't care how strong you are, how capable you are, but there's a place where your strength will end. And if you're not relying on Jesus, what you have is all you have. But if you are living reliant on Jesus, when your strength ends, there is an endless supply of strength. There is a God that is standing over you willing to carry your burdens and carry you through. So remember, blessed are those whose strength is in you. When we are weak, he is strong. It's in his strength that we are made perfect. The first thing that we need to do if we're going to find God in the valley is in your weakness, seek Jesus as your strength. In your weakness, seek Jesus as your strength. 
I love the way the, the New Living translates this. This is a little bit different than the verse that, that we, we read just a little bit ago. We're going to go back and reference this in just a moment. But the New Living says it this way. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. On a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. In those days... Jerusalem was a city of refuge or a city of peace. It was a place that you would have gone if you were in trouble, if you were being attacked, you would have been fortified and taken care of. But see, the Valley of Baca existed right outside of Jerusalem, and to get there, oftentimes, you had to go through the valley. I love what one theologian said about this passage. To get to the city of refuge... You had to travel through the Valley of Tears. See, the valley is a pathway to the refuge. It's a, va- it, it, it's a valley. It's difficult, but it's a pathway. It's taking you somewhere. So can we put that New Living Translation verse back up there? Notice what it says. What joy for those who have strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage. I want you to know this. What you think about matters. What you think about matters. See, where you are in life, pay attention because this is really important. Where you are in life is one thing. Okay? Your circumstances, one thing. But what you say to yourself about it, is an entirely different thing. Your perspective over your circumstance, the way that you set your mind and what you allow to be captive in your thoughts is a totally different thing than your circumstance. The Bible says a lot about this. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, that we need to set our minds on the things of God. We have the power and the capacity to choose what we think about. Then again in Philippians 4.8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Notice it doesn't say God's going to come over you and make you. No, it says you do it. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, you might be in the valley, but your mind can be fixed on God. Your heart might be anxious, but your mind can be fixed on God. Your soul may be aching from hurt, but your mind can be fixed on God. Your emotions may be racing. They may be lying to you. They may be out of control, but your mind can be fixed on God. So the first thing we need to do is in our weakness, we need to seek Jesus as our strength if we're going to find God in the valley. The second thing is that we need to consciously work to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Consciously work to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Do the work. Fight the battle. Allow your thoughts to remain fixed on him. The psalm continues in verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. 
The autumn rains also cover it with pools. See, the thing about the valley that I want you to understand is the valley is not the destination. It's just a place that we're passing through. That's why in Psalm 23, the psalmist David said, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm just walking through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, it's not a destination. It's not a place that God ever designed for you to live. It might be a part of your journey. And for all of us at some point in time, the valley is going to be a part of our journey. But most of us, when we get close to the valley, we don't want to go in. When we sense pain in our lives, we want to run. We want to avoid it. Try to get around it. But here's the thing about the valley. When we're in the valley, we, we, we want to get out. We want to get out. Many of us start to walk in and we, we kind of start to sense this isn't good. We want to turn around and run. Many of us get in there and we start looking, is there a way around this place? But here's the thing. We need to accept that the way is through, not out. The way is through, not out. There are things in your life that will follow you throughout your life until you finally decide to go through them because there is no way around them. There's no way to escape them. You've got to go through them. And the valley is a place that many of us have to go through. I love what it says. Look, Psalm 84, verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains will come and cover it with pools. So the, the power of God is transforming the valley experience. The King James Version, where it says they, they will also, as the, the autumn rains, it will cover it with pools. The King James says that it will make a well. Now, this was a common survival tactic in those days. If you got in a dry place and you knew that you could anticipate some rain, you would get on your knees and you'd start digging. Because there was rain that was coming, and when the rain came, it would fill the well that you had dug, and you would have water to drink. See, here's the thing. When you get in a dry place, dig a well. When you get in a dry place, dig a well. Start doing the work that it takes. Get on your knees. Start digging. Get ready because at some point, God's going to send the rain. He's going to send what you need. He's going to take care of you. See, the thing is, is that many of us, we don't recognize this truth, and this is hard, and I just need, I need you to listen to me and walk through this. Some of us end up in the valley because there was sin that happened and it was somebody else and it happened to us and it hurt us and now we're living in the valley. Some of us had life experience. Life just happened. We lost somebody. Something happened in life that was very difficult and tragic and now we find ourselves in the valley. Some of us are in the valley because of stupid decisions we made. Everybody look at me because I want you to get this, okay? I don't care how you got into the valley. You are a part of the way out. You are not going to get out by waiting for somebody to come carry you out. Whether it was life, whether it was somebody else who did it, or whether it was you, you are a part of the solution. You need to start 
in the dry place, digging the well, which brings me to the third point, the way that we find God in the valley. So we need to take the next step in obedience and do our part. We need to take the next step in obedience and do our part. There's a part that you play in getting out of the valley. Now, obviously, God is God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to bring the rain, but your part's to dig the well. So take the next step in obedience and do your part. See, a lot of times we neglect to understand that what we do in the valley is very, very important. How we choose to handle our pain is very, very important. Because how you handle your pain will be the difference between a life-changing lesson or a life-breaking tragedy. And the thing is, is that God always invites you to be a part of that journey. Always invites you to be a part of that journey. Do you remember the miracles of Jesus? There was the guy that was brought to him who had a deformed hand. And Jesus said what to him? Stretch out your hand. I'm going to be honest with you. If I'd have been that guy, I'd looked at Jesus and said, I've been trying to do that my whole life. It's never worked. Look at it. It's deformed. I can't do what you're asking me to do. Stretch out your hand. This time do it in my strength. Miracle. The man who's lowered down on a mat in front of him who's paralyzed. He's been paralyzed his entire life. What is the first thing that Jesus says to him? Stand up and walk. Jesus, I've been paralyzed my whole life. You know how many times I've tried to stand up? Not this way. No, it's different now. Stand up and walk. Do you notice that he invited them in to the miracle that they had to do something to access the power of God? Sometimes we just have to be obedient so that we can give God something to bless. See, buried within this passage of pain is a promise. There's a promise. If you dig it, God will fill it. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you seek him, you will find him. And if you make room for him in your life, he will reveal himself to you. The fourth thing. In your notes today, if we're going to find God in the valley, is that we need to move towards Jesus and trust him with our circumstances. Let us throw off the weight that holds us back. Let us strip off the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that has been marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's move towards him. You see, we may want the God of the mountain, but many of us that are in the room today, we need, we need the God of the valley. We need the God of the valley. 
And the thing is, God never said that you're not going to go through valleys. There's some of us that have thought before that if I just give my life to Jesus, everything would, would turn up roses and unicorns and rainbows. And it's just not true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And the truth is, some of you are in the valley. Some of y'all are coming out of the valley. And some of y'all, you don't know it, but you're getting ready to go into the valley. Because we're all going to experience the valley. But God never, never said that you, ha- you won't go through valleys, but you never have to go through the valleys alone. You never have to go through them alone. Because God is with you. So it's dark. So you're in a storm. You might be facing trouble. Maybe today you feel weak. He's your light in the darkness. He's your peace in the storm. He's your joy in the trouble. And he is your strength when you're weak. You see, we may enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we get to know him in the valley. And there may come a moment when you look back and you go, it was in the valley that God did the most significant thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. And that may be right now. See, if we're going to find God in the valley, just to kind of recap those, number one, we need to, in our weakness, seek Jesus as our strength. We need to consciously work to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We need to take the next step in obedience and do our part. Then we need to move towards him with trust, trusting him with our circumstances. See, the story of Christmas begins with a moment that reminds me of this truth. It happens in Luke chapter 2. I want to take you and I want you to see this. Look at this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, think about this. Heaven invades earth, and the shepherds, instead of getting excited, were scared. They were scared. There is all of this moment that many of us would think that in our hearts we would be going, oh, I'd be so excited. I'd be so, no, everything had just shifted. And when everything shifts in our life, most of our hearts go to fear. And so the first words to announce the presence of Jesus were, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God's here. He's with you. See, the thing is, in the valley, you don't have to be afraid. Because God is 
with you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.